Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. And what's really striking is that those people who say they're in serious difficulty and struggling now, very, very few of them see a world in which they're going to either be secure or comfortable. So that idea that there's this natural social mobility up isn't borne out by what people are telling us. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to Australian Politics. I'm Catherine Murphy and with me is Peter Lewis, the supremo of Essential Media. So that's a bit of a clue. This is uh, one of our fortnightly chats about the latest Guardian Essential Poll numbers. Now, just a, a note up the top, if you are a hardcore numbers person, I strongly encourage you to uh, pull up your favourite browser, go to the Essential site, which is essentialreport.com.au. I'll say that again, essentialreport.com.au. And on the website, you'll find all the latest poll charts. So you can have a squeeze at those while we're having a chat. Also, of course, you can read my news story about uh, the latest poll numbers or Peter's analysis, which are both on the Guardian Australia website, uh, if you don't want to do the charts and you just want the short version. So anyway, with all of those pleasantries afoot, we can now get rolling. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm well, thanks. It's been sweltering in Sydney, um, but I can see that all the action's actually been in Canberra this week. <laughs> well, I, I sort of thoughts and prayers about the sweltering. It's not too bad here, fortunately. Um, okay, let's just dive straight in and uh, we can dive straight in with superannuation, which has been, well, the political talking point of uh, the last fortnight really, hasn't it? So if you've missed that, if you're not across the latest news, Labor, so the Albanese government has opted to limit tax concessions for people uh, with superannuation balances of $3 million or more. Uh, we thought we needed to ask our poll respondents what they thought about that. Pete, what do they think? Well, most of them think that it's probably a pretty good idea. And we asked it in in a formulation that basically laid out the policy, reducing tax concessions for people with super balances over three mil. So the returns are taxed um, at a higher rate than people with lower balances. It comes out at 54, um, 19 opposed and 31 on the fence. And by that, I mean people that neither agree or disagree. So it was a five point spread. I'll tell you what the interesting cross tab on this though is, Catherine, that what we originally thought, let's ask people who have got 
more than three million what they think, and of course there's one percent, which is <laughs> right in line with the number of people. But we asked another question. We asked people because this has been another line of attack from the opposition. Um, whether they think they'll ever reach. Yes. Um, and God bless, 23% of people think they're going to end up with 3 million, which I'm calling the aspiration axis. And <laughs> even amongst those who believe that one day they will be a multimillionaire in super worlds, they still support it 41 21. Mm. Um, and those of us mere mortals who recognise that <laughs> three probably 3 million is a bridge happen. too far, 52 <laughs> support, 17 oppose. So it's. I was surprised it was so modest, actually, but then if you look at some of the wall of noise that's been conflated with broken promises and all sorts of sky-falling-in attacks from the opposition and um, their particular section of the Australian media, so maybe not surprising. But in terms of putting your toe in the water to get rid of egregious tax concessions that support the wealthiest in society, you've got to say it's got a tick. Yeah, and a beautiful segue, almost like we planned it, uh, to <laughs> to another couple of questions that we asked because I'm sort of setting up uh, these initial numbers because then uh, Pedro and I will sort of dive into what it all means. So I'm just sort of setting up the basic architecture of questions that we asked in the poll. So as well as asking about the super change, uh, we sort of tested a couple of other concepts, didn't we, this week with our poll respondents. So if you're a treasurer thinking about budget repair, which is sort of one of the reasons why Jim Chalmers has, has sort of adjusted super policy, how do people feel about limiting the capacity for wealthy people to minimise their tax through family trust arrangements, for example, and also, where is the community up to on the stage three tax cuts, which predominantly benefit uh, higher income earners? So we chucked those couple of questions into the mix, Peter. And what did we? What spat out the other end? So on family trusts, it's fifty five fifteen with thirty not having a position. That doesn't surprise me because my theory is the only people that understand family trusts are those that have them. Mm. Um, but again, the big shift in terms of our aspirational access. So if you think you're going to end up with 3 million in super, you're much more likely to think that's a bad idea. Um, so that's 38, 18 versus 57, 14 for those of us who aren't going to get there. And then the stage three tax cuts, um, it's not quite as clear cut. And I think there's a little bit because of the language around that. 4322 support cancelling the stage three tax cuts. Um, I'm interested, I, I was listening to your discussion with Adam Bant last week and I was interested in his formulation of these as $9,000 tax handouts to people earning over 200 grand and I would be interested in whether those numbers would be different with that formulation. Mm. But look, put all of that together and you would say, and it, it gave me pause to reflect, um, we kind of all came to a collective conclusion after 2019 that any attempt to attack some of these tax concessions for the wealthy or tax handouts for the wealthy was just unsaleable politically. It's made me wonder whether it was more about the sequencing and the sales job rather than the actual policies themselves because, you know, trust was put up in 2019 Um you know, the stage three tax cuts were regarded as too hot to handle ahead of 2022. 
but you look at these numbers and you'd have to say they're not dead on arrival as policy yeah. ideas. Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of, it's obviously, you know, it's not overwhelming support uh, out there for, you know, different formulations of tax the rich, right, just to put it colloquially. But there's certainly, I think you and I would agree, there's a bedrock there of feeling that if a government was so inclined to sort of take on some of these issues, that a campaign around them may in fact be winnable, uh, sort of just looking at these numbers. But just to your point, right, about the differences between 2019 and now, what Peter's referring to obviously is uh, when Bill Shorten was the Labor leader in 2019, uh, the party took a very ambitious policy platform to the voters and the voters said, no, thanks very much. Uh, that influenced, obviously, uh, how Labor presented itself to the Australian voters in the 2022 election campaign. Uh, and as Pete said a minute ago, you know, sort of doing anything other than supporting the stage three tax cuts was seen as sort of politically too risky. Suicidal. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. We we do seem to be in a different world and it's sort of, again, providing a segue, almost like we planned it. <laughs> um, the other number I want to set up is, uh, is how people are feeling about this, about a cost of living squeeze and inflation. This is the sort of variable I think that's interesting, right? Obviously, we were not dealing with the economic conditions that we're currently dealing with in 2019. The the sort of starting point is different, right? So let's just sort of uh, fill in the listeners about how people are feeling about sustained high inflation and higher borrowing costs. Last November, we sort of ask a sort of either or question, really. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, but it's sort of like, are you struggling to pay your bills or are you comfortable, right? Mm. Last November, more people were comfortable than struggling. But as we've moved into the new year, the ratios flipped. So what did we yeah. learn in this in this uh, fortnight in terms of so how we people actually, are feeling? We, we actually break it into four and then we group them just for elegance. Um, we've got comfortable... And with a little sort of sign-off, I don't have to worry about paying the bills. Secure, I'm able to pay the bills and usually have money for savings. Struggling a bit, I have to watch my budget and in serious difficulty. Now, you're right, that combined shift has gone almost inverted. In November, we were at 54, 46 grouping people that were financially comfortable and secure versus those that were financially struggling in serious difficulty. Um, It shifted over March 23, 49, 51. But the bit that I do want to point out to you there, Catherine, particularly in light of um, International Women's Day this week, or not even because of that, just because it's it's glaring. Amongst women, it's 57, 43, mm. say mm. they're financially struggling in serious difficulty and that gender split. So think about it. Blokes are 56, 44, I'm okay, Jack. 57, 43 the other way amongst women. As we know, so many of our economic policies actively operate against the interests of women and this is just showing that in a, a tight economic market that has consequences. Mm, It's really interesting. And so let's track back now to what you were setting up in terms of aspiration, right? That there is sort of this tendency for uh, people to uh, sort of vote according to how they like their life to be 
rather than, well, as opposed to how their life actually is. Now, and you wrote your analysis of the poll numbers sort of playing with some of these concepts. It's a very interesting piece. If you haven't read it, go and read it. But uh, give us the yeah. give us the pod version. What are you, well, you know, where are you going I'm, I'm with that? I managed to sneak a bit of um, dialectic materialism into the lead, which my 16-year-old Marxist son will be very proud of. Um, look, the, the bottom line is I think that there's the idea of the aspirational voter has almost become something that's an act of political faith really since the Howard years, Howard's battlers, um, off the tail end of the Hawke-Kenny Accord years, this idea that all you needed to get ahead was a ute, um, you know, an ABN and a rugged sense of individualism and Howard played the economy to those particular individuals, which was all actually part of the breakdown of the centralised economy and the dispersion of people from big workplaces into small businesses. But what happened underneath that, there was the tax relief, as they called it, in inverted commas, which was a, a masterful framing of anyone that doesn't care about public services and investment in infrastructure. But there was also, um, over that course of that government, which went for four terms, as the money, particularly from the mining boom, came into the economy, there was real structural changes that placed concessions around the accumulation of capital, be it shares via franking credits, property via negative gearing, or super. So there was a fundamental remaking of Australia and it worked because the idea was that if you worked hard and got ahead, you would thrive. Um, Labor tried to pull it back. Um, The Henry Review was an attempt to look at some of those inequities, but it all slipped over because mining bosses pretended they were Howard Battlers and convinced everyone the mining industry would collapse. Then we got into Labor land and as we said before, Bill Shorten had a crack at it and it was too much um, and the kitchen sink was thrown at it. So we end up in this moment now in our history where we've got a real radical proposal in front of us, which is to flatten our tax system, which Labor was almost positioned into accepting in opposition again because there was this fear that they'd be pitched as higher taxes and against aspirations. So I just thought with the numbers we've got this week, and I'll talk about one table in particular that stood out to me, um, I think it's against A, Labor's political self-interest and against the broader progressive project to just accept that aspiration is king. Um, And that is this table where I got our guys to not just ask those four questions I, I mentioned before, comfortable, secure, struggling, in serious difficulty, for people to describe their financial situation now, we also ask them to imagine themselves at retirement and where they'd be. And what's really striking is that those people who say they're in serious difficulty and struggling now, very, very few of them see a world in which they're going to either be secure or comfortable. So that idea that there's this natural social mobility up isn't borne out by what people are telling us. Conversely, those people who say they're comfortable the worst thing that could happen to them is they'll end up secure. No one sees themselves dropping down the ladder. So rather than having this sort of dynamic class system, we're actually pretty locked in. Mm, It's really interesting though, isn't it? Because if that does start to break down, if that idea that people think that there's a travel ladder and it only goes up, you know, uh, if they start to question that idea, then the sort of case for change uh, gains some salience because we're sort of at this point, aren't we, which is so interesting and is sort of manifesting in our numbers in 
many different ways, really, over the last couple of years, where we've sort of reached this point in the Australian economic context where there is this feeling, particularly amongst young people, that older people, uh, you know, have the property, have the the massive super, have the assets, have totally won the sort of asset boom cycle and then a bunch of young people mm. feel completely locked out of that. So it's it's really interesting that this sort of, well, it's the question obviously that governments constantly mm. ask themselves, right? Like if we <laughs> if we shine a light on this on these various trends, what happens to us politically? So anyway. Yeah, and, and and a lot of the public debate is really skewed because of the nature of legacy media towards older people. And there, I think we, we tend to dismiss the politics of younger people being around identity politics and when they're active, they're active for the climate or they're active for anti-racism or transgender. But there's a real class element moving in here too because the people under the most economic stress are those that are renters. Mm. And you can see actually the Greens tapping into this, their success, particularly in Brisbane, was very targeted at people who are renting, who see the deal as being incredibly raw and there's no pathway into any form of economic security. So, um, you know, maybe this is a moment, particularly at a time of economic downturn, where, you know, rather than when things are going well, everyone's sort of getting so much money splashed around that they don't really pause to consider. Maybe this is a moment to dare I say it, build a little bit of class consciousness, particularly um, around the different generations. Yeah, and it is interesting that cohort renters, they, they, were, they were such an interesting cohort in the 2022 uh, election and like a seat like Kuyong, which is considered a sort of jewel in the Liberal Party crown, right, large number of renters and uh, and the well, form... Particularly with urban consolidation, yeah, right? Exactly. So that changes dynamics too. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Anyway, so we just wanted to sort of uh, put that idea in your minds to sort of have a look at some of the numbers this week through the prism of those sort of trends, those kind of mega trends in society and the economy and how attitudes are shifting. Now, speaking of attitudes shifting, we need to think about approval of the leaders because we went there in this fortnight's opinion poll. So basically, uh, you know, the short version of this, although we, you and I will unpack this, the shine is coming off the Prime Minister. He's dropped six points in a month on our positivity rating and he's climbed uh, by five points on our negativity scale, right? So let's let's just stick a pin in that. We'll come to Peter Dutton in a minute. But if you were Anthony Albanese, how worried would you be right now? Um, look, this is a, a rating on of a scale of one to ten. Seven to ten is your positive. People still really positive about your performance. You're at forty. The concern is that the lower zero to three is people haven't gone from positive to neutral. They've gone from positive to negative. Um, I think it shows that you know we're now at a period of business as usual rather than honeymoon. I want to watch it for a couple more cycles. We. We basically do counter fortnightly. So we'll ask approve, disapprove one fortnight, and then this 10 scale mix the, the following fortnight. 
What I'm actually thinking about doing next week, Catherine, is doing our full character analysis and actually mm. looking at some of those attributes, attributes to see if we can unpack it. Yeah. Because I've got a theory, but we'll save it till next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the attributes actually is um, is a good idea to do in the next cycle. So there you go. There's a little scoop for you guys that we'll be asking those questions in the next poll. Now let's get to Peter Dutton. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's, he's sort of interesting. Someone has to, yeah. <laughs> no, he's interesting at a different level. The thing that strikes me is, that's a very interesting uh, point about the opposition leader, the current opposition leader, is that our polling suggests basically everybody in the country knows who he is. Now, that's kind of unusual for an opposition leader because obviously the PM always hogs the national spotlight, Mm. gets more media coverage, has those incumbency advantages. I'm very conscious for quite a long time in our polling Peter, before the last federal election, there was quite a, a big cohort that didn't oh. really know who Albanese was or have strong views about him, right? You cannot say that about Peter Dutton. Only 2% of respondents say they've never heard of him, right? So Albanese's coming off the honeymoon, as you say. The gloss is coming off a bit. We're sort of into a more business-as-usual cycle than the honeymoon post-election thing. But it's interesting, our numbers suggest that Peter Dutton's strategy, which I've called the microwave Tony Abbott strategy, um, hasn't really sort of yielded, you know, much of a sort of a, a dividend from voters. Anyway, let's let's talk to the listeners about Peter Dutton. What do the numbers tell us? So, look, it's very stable, but it's stably bad. Um, 26 positive, so that's, you know, significantly less than um, Albanese. 33% both neutral and negative. Um, he's been around a long time, if you think about it, hasn't he? Because he wasn't just a minister right through the Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison era. He was also a senior um, opposition frontbencher through the guts of the Rudd-Gillard yeah. right. Gee, that's a lot of prime ministers to come out in yeah, a decade, yeah, yeah. isn't it? But, yeah, no. he's, he's been around for the journey. And yes. so people do know who he is. Um, he's obviously an acquired taste, but we can say 26% of the electorate sort of looks at it and says, I like a bit of that. Um, but there is significant barriers between that and getting to anything approaching majority <laughs> goodwill towards your, <laughs> um, to your, towards your persona. But anyway, we'll we'll look at his attributes next week as well and we'll offer some free character assessments there as well, I reckon. Well, I think that it's sort of interesting. I guess it's I can see what he's doing with his uh, political strategy and obviously we have seen it work for a Liberal leader in the past. We've seen it work for Tony Abbott. But it's just sort of interesting when you are so known in the minds of the public whether whether your strategy works for you. Obviously, the answer to the question is too soon to say, but I just think he's a sort of, I don't know, he's just a different case study of an opposition leader mm. from, from ones and, that we've had in the recent past. But to, in fairness to him, he's got a different set of challenges because, you know, the left wing of the Liberal Party was effectively locked off at the last election and the right wing is constantly restless. So, you know, what is the Liberal Party? And I, I see part of a lot of what Dutton's doing is he's being driven by the momentum just to be opposition. And I think maybe that's all you can do in still the first year of opposition after a decade in government, just sort of keep 
walking. But, yes. yeah, he's got a big job ahead of him, doesn't he? Because he can't fly because he got no wings. No, that's right. It's sort of, anyway, it's very early days. But, anyway, I just think it's kind of yeah. some interesting concepts to knock around in your head. Anyway, there is your polling bento box for this fortnight, dear listeners. There it is, I think. Uh, we will be, Peter and I will be back in a fortnight with the new numbers and obviously we will go through them and uh, entertain you with our sprightly chats <laughs> in a fortnight's time in our special polling episodes. Thank you so much to Melanie Chun, who's producing us this week. Miles Martignani is the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening. You know the drill, share, tell your friends, etc. We will, in, in this form, with this essential report, Peter and I will be back in a fortnight. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.